Getting the most from your veterinary team has never been more important than today. Competition for capable and competent staff is at all-time high, and this week we've got a registered veterinary technician expert to tell us how to get the most of our veterinary support staff, as well as an update on the Veterinary Nurse Initiative. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Viewfinders, before we get started this week, once again, we want to ask you to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. That is how the magical, mystical world of the algorithm finds us and connects us as veterinary colleagues. So please do us a favor, go and rate and review us if you haven't already. If you have, thank you, Viewfinder family, for the last three years. You've been awesome. We really appreciate the time that you take to listen, share, and let your friends know about our podcast every week. We're here to bring you the topics that you guys are talking about, try to get information out to you. And this rate and review really helps us to get out to more professionals. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And it's no surprise that, without a doubt, the toughest topic that we tackle here on the Veterinary Viewfinder podcast is utilizing our staff. I mean, today it is hard to find a registered veterinary technician. And if you do find them, you may not be optimizing them. And we're going to talk about that today once again for like the 3,000 millionth time. Once again, I am Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician Becky Mosser. And today's guest is no stranger, I don't think, to anyone in the veterinary industry. If you have been around, you've heard his name. He is currently actually the sim manager up at Cornell for the Recover CPR Initiative Lab, which is just an amazing awesome, cool, fantastic program that is sweeping the nation right now. Technicians everywhere are getting Recover certified, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But he's also been a leading voice in the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, and more recently, over the last couple of years, really working on helping practices, practice owners, and, and all of our veterinarians out there understand better technician utilization. He has helped to educate thousands of technicians across the world. He has been a Veterinary Technician of the Year uh, by NAFTA, and he is actually currently the NAFTA president. So we're very, very excited and very honored to have Mr. Kenyagi with us today. Ken, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Ken, I want to kind of just start off the conversation today because you know what a fan I am of yours personally, but also of NAFTA in general. Can you kind of give the Viewfinder family a quick update on the VNI or the Veterinary Nurse Initiative? I know there's been a lot of discussion since VMX and WVC. Maybe you could just tell us exactly what's happening. Sure. Um, so the Vet Nurse Initiative uh, definitely is going strong and uh, we uh, continue to gain more and more supporters each day. Um, I think that uh, the biggest things that um, we can say with the Veteran Nurse Initiative is that we spent 2019 trying to refocus people on what the actual goals of the VNI was. Um, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that the Veteran Nurse Initiative having the name uh, Veteran Nurse in it because that's a title change that we want to see. Uh, many people focused on the title change itself and started to see it as uh, only a title change. And it's a lot more than that. And so um, there's a lot of um, information uh, updated on the website that has uh, refined um, how we uh, present the goals of the Veteran Nurse Initiative. And the goals of the Veteran Nurse Initiative definitely um, has to do with trying to uh, standardize the uh, credentialing requirements uh, within the nation and the standard, uh, the credential itself. And uh, to gain public recognition, that's where the title change uh, ties in the most heavily, I would say. Uh, but uh, not um, the public not really 
realizing that when they take their pets to the vet, that there's a whole team behind it is something that we want to change. Um, we also like to see professional recognition um, within the uh, industry about our profession. And I think this is where uh, our topic today of utilization really will tie in. Uh, very closely is that uh, we have a certain scope of practice that we want to establish for our profession and for us to be utilized very well within it. And then that leads to um, making sure that uh, people who get into this profession have a, um, a career as they come in so that, that we can continue expanding on the roles that we play and um, just uh, making sure that we feel fulfilled in it. And so when it comes to the, an update to the Veteran Nurse Initiative, I would say that um, the three states that we're working in this year to try to establish um, the uh, registered veterinary nurse title is Oklahoma, Indiana, and Ohio. And that uh, effort continues to go on. We've also focused on title protection by establishing a title protection task force that uh, actually Becky's a part of um, that uh, has taken a look at what title protection looks like around the nation. Um, we're trying to create tools that people can use to help um, our title be uh, respected and uh, inf um, title protection itself be complied to better. Uh, so there's uh, more things coming out uh, with that. And we've also been working with uh, organizations like the AABSB in order to better define our scope of practice. And so um, with all that said, um, we uh, have um, uh, more support that we can see out there. It's usually about a 80 to 90% in favor of the Veterinary Nurse Initiative uh, in the surveys that has been performed. Uh, we now have uh, five, almost six um, veterinary nursing programs that uh, the veterinary technology programs have uh, changed their name over to and started offering veterinary nursing degrees. Um, and um, when it comes to um, uh, financial supporters, uh, position statements and support, all that, uh, we are well over 40 organizations that support it now. So definitely, um, uh, you know, we like to see more and more people involved in the conversation, regardless of how you feel about it. I think a lot of people sort of were lulled into, oh, wow, I guess nothing's happening because there was a lot of noise, including a lot of noise on this podcast in 2018. <laughs> and then 2019, we talked about it, but not as overtly as we once had, but it is alive and well and probably stronger than ever. I do want to touch real quickly, Ken and Becky, on the title protection. You know how strongly I feel about that. Uh, the word, the term veterinary technician is thrown around a lot. Becky, I just ran across a veterinary, well, you know, now everybody's like a self-described celebrity vet or whatever, and uh, described themselves as a veterinary technician early in their career, not a vet tech, never RVT, CVT, <laughs> LVT. So this, this title protection, Ken, is a big deal. Yeah, I actually find a lot of veterinarians I talk with will tell me that they were a veterinary technician early in their career, or a veterinary technician before they went to vet school with ever, without ever holding a credential. And, you know, I think it's a very innocent um, misuse of title, not really understanding. I think for a lot of people, it's just what they were called in practice. And, you know, to their defense, there is a lot, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the technical skills because of the shortage. And it's kind of what brings us to this conversation today, because it just feels like things are pretty dire um, everywhere you go. Even the best institutions out there I, seem to be struggling to hire, uh, you know, on all levels, right? Right now, there's just a short of a veterinarians and technicians and at the same time keeping them. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things I feel like we say is that that utilization is essential to that longevity in your staff. 
when it comes to the issue of title protection, um, I think uh, Becky's very right that uh, it's very much an innocent thing that uh, might be going on out there, that um, many of the people who have uh, grown up with the, the profession uh, around them or in uh, within the profession um, don't actually know what a veteran technician really is. And that uh, because there is variability in um, state laws that, uh, first of all, define veterinary technicians and what they are. And uh, some of them do have title protection laws in place that... Um, uh, should hopefully prevent people from using the title without uh, that person actually being credentialed. Um, there are states out there that um, don't have uh, any kind of title protection um, laws in place or don't have uh, veterinary technicians defined or uh, established licensure for that profession itself. And so because of that, uh, when you take a look at the quote unquote veterinary technician, there's so many different kinds of people out there in the field right now. And that's why it's confusing is that uh, people may call themselves veterinary technicians just because they don't know. And that's one of the things that the VNI is trying to change. Yeah. And I used to always joke uh, with audiences, I would say things like, you never hear an MD say, well, you know, I used to be a nurse. <laughs> I mean, right? because yeah. obviously there's title protection, there's credentialing, there's a set of rules and regulations around the what a, a human nurse is. But anyway, let's swing back into what Becky was digging at there. And that is, we're in a resource scarcity, as the MBAs like to call it. We're in a tight job market, Ken. And uh, I think that a, it is incredibly difficult to hire a registered veterinary technician, period. Number two, when we do have RBTs in our clinics, I believe we're often underutilizing them. You know, we're not letting them do the things that they actually are best at doing. Now, this is no, this is no news. I mean, people like me have been talking about this for nearly 30 years. But Ken, bring us up to where we are in 2020 and how we can address both you know, a tight job market and optimizing an RBT. So when we take a look at the current status of our profession, the 2016 NAFTA demographic survey keeps coming up because we've surveyed the field about how they feel about um, our job. That, uh, the results uh, weren't that great in that only 51% of the people said that they're satisfied with their job. Um, 56% uh, changed their jobs in the first five years, meaning that they may have changed job places or they may have uh, found a different uh, type of job. And um, of the people who um, had uh, left uh, clinical practice, half of them had actually left the veterinary field. And that's what we found out with the survey. And within all that, um, there are many different reasons that people cited for uh, making changes. And uh, they were things like uh, low wages, lack of respect. Uh, they were feeling burnt out. They were feeling compassion fatigue. And um, one of the things that, that come up in all the list of reasons is underutilization. And so you just imagine that, uh, you know, you go through a good amount of training, you go through schooling, you pass a national examination, you get licensed and you finally get out into the clinics and start working and you're not able to, to utilize the entire skill set that you have to offer. That's pretty demoralizing. Yeah. And so yeah, you're cleaning cages, right? You're restraining cats and dogs in the back. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's absurd. And if you're a veterinary practice owner today, it's unprofitable, inefficient. I mean, these are the things that I look, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, Ken, you know how I feel. This is a financial proposition. An RBT simply allows your team to be more productive, which translates into greater revenues, which should lead to higher profits. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you if you want to talk about the um the improvement of uh, revenue within a practice because of utilization of veterinary technicians, then there's a lot of information out there. It even started back in 2007, I think, is that AVMA had uh, done a survey study that took a look at um, comparison of veterinary practices that preferentially hired uh, credentialed veterinary technicians versus um, 
uh, practices that didn't. And that study back then already showed that um, uh, there's an increase of about $93,000 per year in uh, practice revenue per uh, credentialed veterinary technician that uh, is hired on. And so back then that was the case. And there's recently um, a uh, survey study that uh, the OABT, uh, the Ontario Association of Veterinary Technicians conducted that saw very similar um, results. That uh, there was an increase in $78,000 per year of practice revenue per credentialed veterinary technician. And um, that study, um, the interesting part of that was that they said that uh, credentialed veterinary technicians that were paid more than others uh, in terms of average, uh, that greater than $21 per hour was the wage, they actually brought in more revenue than people who were paid less. So that could be related to their experience or their capabilities, uh, different kinds of things that may come into play. Uh, but that's uh, another thing that was interesting to see. And more recently, I think it, the strong um, support for practice revenue for hiring credentialed veterinary technicians came from the AVMA's economic report that um, for each um, credentialed veterinary technician that was hired into practice, there was an increase in practice revenue by 18.3%, whereas uh, hiring an additional veterinarian only led to an increase in 6.3%. And so hiring a veterinary technician actually leads to more revenue than hiring a veterinarian. But Ken, let's get let's now drill down into the specifics because this is where veterinarians start to, I think, misinterpret all of this. And that is what can and should a registered veterinary technician be doing in the clinic? And so let's let's kind of be specific. I, I do want to touch on education because I think that's honestly the greatest value that you bring. But let's actually dig into putting in a catheter, performing dental prophylaxis. I mean, help me out there. Um so I think that um, when it comes to what should a veterinary technician be um, utilized for, uh, when we take a look at um, the practices around the nation, for example, and um, try to see where they land in terms of their um, proper utilization of veterinary technicians, um, I think that, that we can separate them up out into a spectrum. There are probably practices out there that uh, utilize them to a very low or inappropriate level, uh, meaning that uh, there's a lot of uh, cleaning that happens, uh, kennel work, maybe um, restraining animals, uh, cleaning instruments, um, setting up for different kinds of procedures, uh, maybe even reception work or clerical work that uh, veterinary technicians do. And so that would be on the very low end of utilization. Um, as uh, we um, go up the scale, we might include a little bit more clinical um, skill sets like uh, blood draws, uh, maybe some minor lab work, collecting of samples, uh, providing uh, subcutaneous fluids or injections, oral medication, maybe some charting. And once we collect up to one more level up, then maybe we are doing more injections, placing IV catheters, uh, performing fluid therapy, monitoring patients, obtaining vitals, um, doing some more advanced tasks like placing urinary catheters or even performing CPR. And then if we climb up even one more level, the higher level would be that uh, we would be definitely be performing more advanced skill sets, maybe like 
um, performing uh, cystocentesis, um, placing uh, jugular catheters, um, maybe some of the more specialized skill sets that uh, people may have as veterinary technician specialists, for example, assessing the patients, following protocolized plans, participating in anesthesia or treatment planning, and uh, managing patient care altogether, or maybe even managing the team. And that's kind of at the higher level. When we take a look at uh, people who end up on the lower level of that, uh, I think that uh, we tend to feel under uh, underutilized. Uh, we don't have our potentials maximized. We're not challenged. We don't feel like we're being trusted. Um, people tend to become uh, the type of people that uh, do as they're told and their morale is low and we consider that a job. When we're at the higher end, we have more autonomy. We feel trusted. We're empowered. We're a uh, collaborative part of the team and we utilize um, our education that we got uh, through the uh, the schooling process that um, allow us to really put that information together, utilize our critical thinking abilities in order to um, drive a patient to healing. And so that's where veterinary technicians can serve as a leader within the profession or a leader within the practice and become a professional. Well, Ken, that was well said. And viewfinders, rewind the tape and listen to that again, because that's pretty profound. But here's where also the VNI is so essential, Becky, because Ken just gave us a laundry list of technical skills. And honestly, they vary by state what you can actually do. So, you know, we need better standardization, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a lot of what we encourage people to get involved. You know, here in North Carolina, the Practice Act is currently open and it's an opportunity for, you know, local voices to be heard. And a lot of it is just really gray area. I mean, whether it's the skills or the amount of oversight required for practicing those skills, whether it's direct supervision, indirect supervision, and kind of what all of those things mean. And then they kind of end up open for interpretation. And it's where I think we're getting into into some trouble here. So I don't know, can can you speak to that point a little bit? Um, you know, how much work is being done toward um, understanding the levels of supervision involved with the, the skills and um, kind of how are you guiding practitioners, you know, that route? Because to be fair, I understand it if for a veterinarian, it's got to be kind of scary to hand some of these things over. I think that... Um... Definitely. Uh, the fear that you mentioned there is probably prevalent. Um, so uh, just to um, step back a little bit into how all this conversation about utilization for me came about is that uh, we used to do, um, we as in uh, Heather Prendergast and I used to do a bunch of workshops where we would go and uh, work with some veterinarians who um, utilize technicians or they think they utilize technicians well within their practice and help them assess uh, how well they actually um, assess them. We took a list of skills or tasks that uh, would be performed within a veterinary practice, had them uh, sort of qualify it to say, you know, for this particular skill, 50% uh, of the time it would be performed by a veterinarian, maybe 25% of the time by a veterinary technician and 25% of the time by an assistant, for example. And then we would help them score themselves. And the average score, utilization score that we came up with was something around 30%. And so, that, yeah, that's relatively low. Um, obviously, Heather and I have very high standards and we know exactly what the ceiling of um, 
what uh, veterinary technicians can do today is. And so compared to that uh, 30%, um, it may be a little bit more in the 40, 50% range. But with that said, it was pretty low. And um, so uh, because uh, working with um, handwritten spreadsheets and things like that was became a bit harder to do, we um, put this next on a online uh, survey platform that made the um, data collection a little bit easier. And so from that, um, we actually found that um, uh, through a good number of uh, people um, giving their submissions on how where they utilize their technicians, we had a mean score of about 36.8%. So I guess we were relatively accurate. Um, and uh, over half of the practices um, out of uh, about 200 uh, tasks that we put out there didn't utilize them uh, actually let me rephrase that, utilize them to about maybe 50 of the 200 tasks that we thought um, technicians could be utilized for. And so this is where we really started to take a look at why that uh, um, utilization issue exists. And I think, uh, Becky, you're really right that uh, it's a lot of fear. And that uh, when we asked about the reasons why, the top reasons um, that came up was um, that uh, the technicians had a lack of skill um, and knowledge in performing those tasks. Um, maybe uh, some, the next one, uh, next highest one was that it's a lot faster um, and it's a lot faster for veterinarians to perform it and also that uh, veterinarians tend to perform these tasks better. And so there's probably some room for argument there, but um, that's the perception of the people who are filling these uh, surveys out. Yeah. And Ken, you know, so here's the pushback I constantly get is uh, vets are going, oh, my gosh, I can't hire an RBT. And in the exact same breath, Becky, they say, oh, but I can't hire an associate veterinarian. Right. Yeah. And it's like yeah. this is a, quite a conundrum uh, in and of itself. Now, Ken, one of the, the points I keep making on the podcast uh, and in lectures is the fact that we are now independent practices are competing with large corporate entities and RBTs can command a much higher salary and benefits package from one of the major corporate players than an independent practice. So again, if you're talking now to an audience of independent practice owners, what advice do you give them to try to attract an RBT like yourself or Beck? Um, okay. So there's so much that goes into that. Um, but, uh, with that said, um, I think, um, the list of reasons why people were not satisfied in practice uh, that I listed out, um, one of them is uh, wages, right? And so I think that uh, taking a look at how much um, we uh, offer the veterinary technicians is one of the biggest things that uh, we all need to do, meaning that um, there needs to be a certain amount of um, financial stability that uh, the people gain by working at a certain place to stay there. And once that has been relatively well met, the um, next uh, level is going to be uh, how satisfied or fulfilled we feel in that job. And that just comes down to, do we make a difference? Do we make a difference in each of the, the patient's uh, lives, uh, the, the family uh, of the patients? Do we get to feel that as we work there? And so that's where I think um, utilization can tie in is that uh, if we're not doing something that feels meaningful to the outcome of um, the for the patient, then we're not going to feel like we're making a difference. Yep. And I think that is a competitive advantage. Independent practices, just listen to what Ken said, and I will reinterpret it. And that is part of your strength 
lies in the emotional bond that you create with your clients. And that's really what Ken is saying a lot of RBTs seek. So sometimes corporate practices can't offer that level of intimacy and connection. So use it to your advantage. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's an important thing too to talk to your staff. One thing I, I feel like is kind of obvious, but often overlooked is just finding out where their passion lies, what they want to be doing, what they want to be doing more of. Um, I, I think it's easy to overlook or to kind of guess or impose our own, you know, thoughts onto our staff. But, um, you know, you have a really diverse staff. I don't care whose it is everywhere you go. And they all have kind of, you know, different passion points that you can you can play to. And um, to uh, add on to when I said that making a difference, one of the things that I think um uh, practices that should look at is how much um, professional respect that veterinary technicians can feel in their um, practice, meaning that do they participate in um, treatment planning? Do Can they give opinions and have that actually heard and make a difference in how we approach a certain patient? Because these are intelligent people that uh, have a lot of experience and know how uh, these disease processes work. And so um, going from somebody who is being told um, what to do and given orders and just fulfilling that order versus somebody who can assess the patient, get the feedback from the patients themselves, process that on their own, make recommendations and have that uh, being a part of what uh, is um, incorporated into how we treat the patient. That gives us more and more fulfillment. Right. And, and I can't say this enough. This professional respect, it's a big deal. Ken, I was talking to Becky several months ago. I was uh, at a conference, giving some lectures. Vet comes up to me. He was saying that he had hired a young uh, registered technician. It was his first one, okay? And so he was sort of bragging, not bragging. And the story went like this. He was like, you know, she came in, you know, and she was basically telling my vets how to, how to treat these patients, all this stuff. I had to school her real quick in her place. And Ken... What the heck, man? But you know what, viewfinders? If you've encountered that type of sentiment and scenario, we really want to hear from you. Becky, that stuff still exists. Am I right? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, in, in like there you hear both sides of it right like you hear people get put off by people who come in with a, a registration who feel like because they have a piece of paper they know everything and they can do everything and they you know they they don't approach it the the right way because the fact of the matter is is we are all still always learning but like i always say and i've said it over and over again is is we are not a consolation prize we are a profession and we're a profession we chose we chose not to be veterinarians for various reasons. Um, and we take a lot of pride in what we do and doing it the best that we can because it is a different wheelhouse. And so that professional understanding and that professional respect, you know, you see it so much more on the human side for, for an understanding of nurses being their own profession. We are absolutely the same. Interesting, because uh, I will just go ahead and say that um, when I tell my career and a career path and how I came to be where I'm at, um, I actually do have to tell the story that I went to vet school for a short while and I dropped out. Um, and uh, there's many different reasons for that happening. Uh, but um, I started uh, working as a veterinary assistant. I didn't know the difference between a veterinary technician and an assistant back then. So um, I used to say that I worked as a veterinary technician, but I know now that uh, I worked at a, as a veterinary assistant, non-credentialed uh, for a while. And uh, I met uh, Nancy Shaffron and um, she had asked me after hearing about my story, um, do you like, do you like what you do? And that's when I said, yeah, you know what? 
I really do, that this is what I want to be doing. And so my career has, um, you know, uh, changed quite a bit since then that I got myself credentialed. It took a little while, but I did. And um, I have uh, two VTS uh, certifications now. I have gone through a master's program in veterinary sciences to further my knowledge uh, even more. Um, and I'm um, involved in different kinds of ways. But uh, the main thing is, um, I, you know, I start out uh, talking about this saying that I didn't mean to be a veterinary technician, but now I choose to be a veterinary technician. It's a completely different career path and a completely different focus when it comes to what we do within the practice. And um, there are um, more and more people who are looking at uh, this um, role as a profession and we should be treated so. Look, we've got to transcend this conversation. Right, Becky? I mean, we have got to somehow as a profession, and now I'm speaking to my veterinary colleagues, to accept that, wow, there are a lot of people out there, amazingly talented, capable, intelligent people that are not interested at all in becoming a veterinarian. They want to be a registered veterinary technician. We've got to give them the respect, the pay. We have to give them the opportunity to to grow in their career. I mean, Ken, look, you you know my passion for this, but this is something that from a professional respect standpoint, I know we've come back to this a couple of times, but it is imperative if we're really going to move this profession forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Ken hit the nail on the head. And and I guess the last thing I would ask you, Ken, is kind of what do you point people to for resources? If if someone feels like, okay, I, I know I'm not utilizing my technicians enough in practice, but I want to, how do they kind of start to embark on that journey? Um, I think that... Um... One of the things that I try to put out there is this assessment tool. So now there's actually a website that I parked it on. Um, it's called uh, vtutilization.com. And all it is is a very simple page. Don't judge judge me for the page because I'm not a web designer in any kind of way. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a button that says, um, you know, click here to assess how well you utilize your technicians. It's the same survey that uh, I put out there before that um, lists a bunch of skills. It takes a little bit of time because there's a little over 100 190 um, tasks that uh, can be performed in a veterinary practice. It's mostly focused on um, uh, tasks that every veterinary technician uh, gets exposed to, um, at least in concept, through the schooling that they go through uh, to see how well they um uh, the person filling out the, the survey to see how well their practice utilize, utilizes veterinary technicians. And I feel like this kind of tool is necessary because if you ask anyone out there, how well do you utilize your technicians? Um, many of them would say, oh, like we totally utilize them, you know, very heavily. Like we're always busy. We don't have enough technicians. We, you know, we're constantly working very hard and we're doing a bunch of overtime and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But uh, the the question is really, how appropriately are you utilizing your technicians? It's not right. just because they're busy, meaning that they that, that makes them better utilized. It's where they are being utilized so that when we are all busy, um, we are uh, putting everyone in the right uh, uh, type of task that they should be performing. And so uh, we felt like the first step is, do you actually know where you're at in that spectrum that we talked about? And that would give you the motivation to change. Now, what if you're a, a, an RVT out there in a practice, you don't feel respected, you don't feel like you're paid adequately, you're concerned about, you know, your career path. What advice do you give them? Is there a resource they can go to, lectures, online webinars, anything like that? 
So um, anyone who may be looking to um, improve their improve their situation within practice, uh, improve the profession in any kind of way, um, definitely look towards uh, NAFTA as a source. Uh, the National Association of Veteran Technicians in America is a national organization that advocates for you out there, different kinds of things um, that are being worked on, but uh, it's a organization that uh, is for you, meaning that if you'd like to see changes happen within your profession, this is an organization that will advocate for you. And we need your voice in order to direct it in the right uh, direction itself. And uh, all these things that, that we're doing, whether it's the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, the Vet Tech Specialties out there, the Approved Veterinary Assistant Program, um, all those things are uh, as a result of the needs of the profession that has um, arose throughout the course of time. Uh, so be a part of it, get involved in some kind of way, and um, there are many different resources uh, that uh, is available to you through that organization. And on a second level, um, I would say that um, doing the same with your state organization is going to be important, and more so these days because uh, the pressures that surround the field, whether it's a lack of veterinary technicians, lack of uh, veterinarians, uh, maybe uh, increase in uh, pet demands for pet care, um, all these kinds of things. So it's more important, um, more so now than ever, for every per, uh, individual to uh, get involved in our own profession so that we can be the change that we'd like to see. So I highly encourage it. I love that. And from a veterinarian perspective, I got to tell you, I am just so honored and humbled to be with two amazing forces within the profession. Becky and Ken, you two have dedicated your entire pro professional careers to, to actually making my job easier. So on behalf of all veterinarians, thank you both for all you do. Ken is the current president of NAFTA, the National Association of Veterinary Technicians, and he is doing a great job to lead you guys through this very tumultuous time. And I just don't think anybody is more equipped and capable and passionate to do it. So, Ken, thank you. And Becky, get this whole title protection thing figured out pretty quick. <laughs> See what I can do about that, Vina, I think. That's right. So, you know, we want to hear from you uh, where you fall on this. How are you utilizing your technicians? Shout out your clinic if you guys are, you know, um, scoring 100 on that scale. Uh, let us see your scores when you head over to the website to for utilization so we know how you're doing. And, you know, we want to hear what you have to say. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram, and, and Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. So check out VTUtilization.com. That is eye-opening. You're going to be just blown away by the, all the things that your veterinary technicians should be doing and you're going to learn ways that you can help them check out navda for sure whether you're a veterinarian or a veterinary technician because that is the source of power both at a state and national level thank you ken for all you're doing thank you becky you know how much i'm a fan of yours uh, until next time thank you so much for everything and don't forget to give us a review on apple podcast bye 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 okay i'm so sorry um so the, I was talking about the pressures, uh, you know, with um, all the pet owners and all that sort of stuff. My cat's jumping around me, which is why I'm <laughs> she's uh, super hungry because uh, we um, meal feed her now. Um, but um, okay, so she's like today's the day you're gonna forget. I've yeah. got to remind you. <laughs> um, so the pressures and all that, um, and 